Welcome back to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Jason Rugg, joined, as always, by our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, everybody. Hey, Jason. And we have a special guest, Zach Callahan. Hey, guys. Hey, Zach. Great to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. So, Christian, do you want me to jump into Zach's bio real quick? So people, because people people know Zach. Zach's been around, but people that have been listening know Zach, but some people may not. So please. So Zach is a Memphis-based screenwriter and has experience working on a range of projects, including indie short films, corporate marketing campaigns and commercials, music videos, documentary films, and more. He graduated from Auburn University in 2019 with a BA in media studies and a focus in screenwriting. He has worked with Documentary First since 2021. Throughout his time with Documentary First, he has headed up pre-production on several projects and is currently the screenwriter for the company's latest project, Taking Carenton. Woohoo! Which, how's that going? How's that going? Like, where, where, where are we with that? Do we have a little bit of a sneak peek? What's going on there? What's, what's amazing is that we have a log line and a synopsis. Uh, hey. so <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's been hammered out. We're super exciting. We have changed the title now to Taking Carenton. Uh, and Zach has been uh, really putting in a lot of elbow grease into shoring up our uh, sizzle uh, script and, and how that's going to go, but also on our whole documentary project so i mean zach we can talk about that uh a little bit now if you want or yeah why don't we do that now uh just talk about how things are going for you uh no i mean it's been going really good lately i mean i think once we kind of decided on the new storyline and really uh, honed in on that um i was able to go through really through all the interviews uh and kind of work backwards almost uh like writing through editing and going through all the interviews and footage uh, and starting to piece together our story. So we pieced together the outline for the sizzle, um, which now we have people pulling that footage out. Um, yeah. Super exciting. You know, Sam King has been working yeah. on the assembly edit, so I can't wait for that. Yeah. And then um, from there going in and just working through the entire outline and picking out shots, picking out uh, different storylines within storylines and everything like that. So it's uh, the wheels are definitely moving. Yeah. Did we talk about uh, when Flo Plana came to visit uh, Jason? No, I don't think we have. Okay. Well, uh, probably since the last time we were on, Flo Plana did come to visit. I went and interviewed a veteran with him. It was amazing. If you uh, haven't seen anything about that on any of our socials, I did post a few clips from that on YouTube and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok. So you can go and watch a couple of those little interviews with our veteran Irv Abramson. Uh, he was with the hundred and uh, the hundredth infantry division. So a uh, very interesting guy. But when Flo was here, he started listening to, I read him our, uh, you know, our log line and our synopsis and started just really talking to him about the storyline. And what he found very fascinating was the part that we were not just telling the battle of Carenton, but we were telling the history of the whole town and how this last battle played into it. And when I mentioned that we were going to you know, cover a little bit of World War I, uh, he thought that that was really important. There might be people in Carenton now who have you know, grandparents that fought in World War I and would have a particular point of view when World War II came around. Um, and he also suggested we live right ne- next to uh, Cantini War Museum, which started because uh, Robert McCormick, 
fought in Cantini, France in World War I, and they have experts there. So that was a new thing that kind of came out where Zach and I talked about, man, that really would be cool if we could get a little bit of that history in with, uh, you know, an expert or somebody that really understands World War I. Um, so once I told that to Zach, he had to kind of go back and think with, you know, okay, where can we fit that in? So that's the sort of stuff that's been happening. It's, it happened when I went to the 101st Airborne Division and I met with people there and realized that we could bring in the U.S. Army's point of view. And I went back to Zach and I was like, Zach, we have this opportunity. Can we work this in? And that's how documentaries work. You know, it, it kind of, you don't know what you have until you begin investigating, making relationships and, and discovering more of the story you can tell. So so, yeah, I mean, it may not seem like we have a film yet because we don't really, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot going on behind the scenes. I do think um, something popped into my brain. We should definitely, once you have the sizzle reel done, we should definitely have, like, the core team on and just do an episode about what makes a good sizzle. Great idea. That would be a really interesting podcast That'd be very episode. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, and and it really does vary. I mean, people, um, and this one's been a tough for tough one for us because it's not necessarily an action packed one. We are telling a, a you know a documentary story, but you want your sizzle to be powerful enough to grab people's attention. So a they'll want to support you financially, but also so that they'll want to watch your film um, or they'll want to distribute your film or whatever. So yeah, great idea. I don't think we're that far away. Maybe a couple more months we'll be able to have some. Thing, maybe less. We'll see. Um, and that leads me sort of into uh, what I want to talk about next, which is really um, reflections on life and filmmaking. And uh, I've just, I just, I want to be pretty vulnerable. Um, Jason and I were talking about this earlier where we may not be all here today simply because, uh, well, Jason, what was your reason? Time changes really screwed me up. I was up till like three in the morning last night. <laughs> just like I could not sleep. So yeah, I, I'm I'm like half awake. But uh, how are you, Zach? I'm all good. I can I can sleep through anything. So. Ah, good. Well, we'll let you uh, weigh in a lot today. Um, I think. It, it, Chad Gilchrist was supposed to be on the podcast with us and we were supposed to record last Friday. And sadly his grandmother took a turn for the worse and she went into hospice. And then on Saturday night she did pass away. And that changed our plans for this podcast. Of course, we, what we were going to talk about and, and how we were going to go about it. We wanted to talk more about cinematography and the process working with other departments. We were going to have Zach here that clearly did not pan out. It will happen when Chad is, you know, ready to come back and talk with us. But it just was a reminder that life happens. Life happens and it affects our plans. And that's obvious, right? But I think when you're making a documentary and you're in this world and you're in this machine working towards a thing, you know, that is important and it's goal focused, um, it's hard to remember that life is going to impact your ability to film this film or do this project right now. And that's okay. Um, I think it, I have found in the past, I've gotten frustrated in fighting life. Like I don't have time for this thing right now. It's going to destroy my ab ability to get this film done. And there's this dissonance inside of me of yes, wanting to be there for my family, my life, but but also wanting to achieve this objective and not getting thrown off the track. And that's kind of going on with me right now in a big way. Uh, we've had a lot of family events. One of my sons just randomly got married to a girl in Germany. Um, 
and, you know, then didn't tell us up front and it caused a whole bunch of emotional things between everyone in our family. And now one son is not talking to the other son and it's just kind of heartbreaking. Um, there was that. And I had another job issue with another thing I do that was really heartbreaking and upsetting for me that impacted my emotional creative ability. Um, and then, you know, I went away for an entire week because my boys were doing a lacrosse tournament, a spring break trip in Virginia. Um, but it impacted my ability to get work done. And then last night I got a call that my father was wandering around his independent living facility um, lost and not really being able to hear people or communicate. And um, so I was woken up at 4 a.m. with trying to deal with that. And so it's just a lot of life. And I think we do need to accept that this is where we are. It's part of the production process, truthfully, when you have these projects. Like I was looking at um, Everything Everywhere all at once and sort of the timeline. They began that project in 2010. Here it is, 2023, right? I mean, projects take a long time, and a lot of it is because life happens. In the middle of their timeline, COVID happened, right? Um, so if you're listening to this today, I just want to encourage you. If there's stuff going on in your life and you're feeling frustrated that you're not able to get your you know, process, your project done and the process moving, be patient with yourself, be patient with others on your team and your crew, um, and realize that it will happen. You just have to not give up and accept those changes. I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. That it, it is a long, long, long process. Like, um, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast here, but my partner and I are, are making a movie. Um, we decided to launch into making an animated film and we're, we're writing it now. We're like really having some fun with, with writing it and everything. And we had that idea, the first iteration of it, I think was in 2019 or 2020. Mm. It was, mm. and, and it's evolved. It was originally a TV show and we're like, wait, this story actually makes more sense to be told. It's kind of an hour and a half long chunk instead of like a season. And so things evolve and change and grow and you, you have to be willing and open and to listen to the idea and hear what it tells you because, <laughs> you know, you can try and force your idea into, well, we really want to make a show. So let's make it a show. And it's like, but it's not best as a show. It's best as a movie. This, this arc is told best this way in this amount of time with these characters and in this way and being willing to listen to your story and hear what it kicks back is really it's difficult, but it is a skill. And when you do it, I mean, you, you can make incredible things. Yeah. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with everything you both said. I mean, I think being creative also is really tough because it's not one of those jobs you can just like uh, blank out, space out, just, you know, kind of go through the motions with. I mean, so if you have something else going on in your life that's emotionally draining, um, you know, it's really hard to lock in and be creative and, and, so I think that's something that's, that's super challenging. And it's also, you know, one of those things that it feels like if you have a job where you clock in nine to five or whatever it is, you're there. And you're like, it's one of those things where sometimes with what we do, things get pushed to the back burner and you're always trying to, you know, maybe play catch up or just stay, stay moving. And I think sometimes that's really hard and you have to have that, you know, work life prioritize yourself and have a balance with that but you can't just only prioritize your work and then neglect, you know, family and other responsibilities and, you know, vice versa. It's the same way. You can't 
sometimes you have to make sacrifices to prioritize your work. So, yeah, I, f- I think what you said about that creative piece is really crucial because we are as creative people, we are emotional. And actually that works to our benefit um, because then we can infuse whatever we're creating with that emotion. Um, it's just what makes a great story. But the downside of that is that we are emotional people. And so when negative things happen to us or things that are less than ideal and our emotions are a jumble, it does not leave space to do the creating that we need. And I think instead of trying to really force that thing, I think we just have to accept where we are and realize that there will be a time for that creative thing to come back. It's not gone forever. But I do think that creativity happens in peace, usually. I mean, for me anyway. It's when I'm quiet and my mind is settled and I am away from chaos um, and I have space to breathe, creative thoughts come. And I mean, is that true for you, Zach? Do you find that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that I work, I think best in, in that type of peace and quiet. And, and there's so many distractions now. I mean, just, I mean, I, you know, your phone or, I mean, is the number one for, and you know, you're right on your computer where there's the internet and there's <laughs> unlimited possibilities. And then you look up one thing and you end up on a rabbit hole for six hours and you're like, <laughs> and I'm really hard on myself about like being productive and wasted, t- wasting time. And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, but sometimes you have to think about it as like, oh, I wasted six hours, but I learned a lot about this. So was it really wasted time? And then, you know, two days later, you're in the shower and you're like, wait, that thing I learned about could actually help in a story. And so it's all, you know, I think it's important to not be too hard on yourself, but also, you know, maybe don't spend all day on Twitter like I do sometimes. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Excellent point. Excellent point. I Jason, what mo- do you think? Most writing doesn't happen at the computer. Most writing happens when you're like in the grocery store, like looking at ravioli and you're just like, wait a minute, (laughs) 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 this all ties together. (laughs) Yeah. It's so happy. It's funny. Mine happens in the shower. There there are certain places where like thoughts and ideas come to me. It's the shower. It's when I'm driving the car, like more than 15 minutes. Um, but even sometimes in shorter times and it happens when I'm putting my makeup on or drying my hair. Like, I think it's when you're like doing normal stuff that you don't have to think about. And then the thoughts have time to come in. Yeah. There's no distraction. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, you're allowing yourself to, you know, if you can find that peace and quiet before you sit down and work, find a little bit of that, then, you know, it's easier to. Yeah. And to your point, Zach, uh, I read something um, uh, on Bill Gates today. I think it was an magazine where, Bill Gates says that he reads widely. If he's looking at one subject, he reads widely. And what that means is if he's going to, um, you know, learn about the Battle of Carenton, he's not just going to read one thing about the Battle of Carenton. He's going to go and read a lot of other things, not just about the Battle of Carenton, but the history of the town, maybe part of the language, maybe, you know, something happening in that era of time in Europe, you know, together. And so as you read widely, your brain begins to make connections that you didn't know were there. And I, that's what happened to me as I was studying the Battle of Carenton and I read more widely about the history and I read more widely about all the people that were there throughout history. My brain began making connections that began to build the story that we're telling. Um, So I think you're right. I mean, we may think that we're going down a rabbit hole, but that rabbit hole might be important 
to whatever we're doing. You know? Yeah, 100%. So anyway, I guess all of that to say, be easy on yourself. Uh, accept that life is going to happen. Creativity will come back. If you're in a tough emotional time right now, it's not gone forever. But you do need to create that space for allow your, allowing yourself to, to have that creativity come. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So there's another thing I want to talk about. Uh, I had an interesting night on Saturday night. This was a, a happy night. I was invited to be part of the Patrick Lives On Film Festival. This uh, film festival is put on by Patricia Fontaine. Patricia's son was shot down uh, several years ago during a gang fight. He was just an innocent bystander. He was killed. A sweet kid. Um, just heartbreaking because of the, um, you know, violent crime here in the Chicago area. And so she formed this film festival just to, to help his memory live on. And I think as a grieving mother to deal with, um, with that. And she, it's a fundraiser to raise fund for these inner city kids on the South side of Chicago. And, it's grown over time. This year it was at resolution studios, which you guys, they have this unbelievable um, screen, which is almost like a, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know how you describe it, but it's not a 363 screen. It's a half of 360, but it's curved. So 180. It's, yeah, <laughs> I guess so it's a 180 <laughs> curve. I'm not good with math. A 180 curve screen. And what they've been doing at Resolution Studios is using it for virtual productions. So they put up the streets of Chicago for a scene. And when they shoot on that you know, stage, uh, you have no ability to tell if it's the real street or if mm. it's actually, you know, uh, a screen. So it's not green screen. It's so cool. So kind of like the volume technology they've been using for like Mandalorian and those pretty much. Of, yeah. yeah. They create cool. this world that you can act in. And yeah, so that's that Very they cool. were kind of resolution was hosting this to show off that screen. It was a, an amazing night. Um, the girl who wore freedom trailer was placed in this screening event. I think just because they're kind to me, I'm not really sure why <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Gilchrist was on the production community uh, uh, committee. So I went and I was really pleasantly surprised by the films that I saw there. They were all shorts. It's a short film festival, but there was one that really blew me away and it's called Frasier syndrome and me. And it was, um, a, a, I mean, an unbelievable revelation about this Frasier syndrome, which only like 76 people in the world have ever had. And, this girl was, I don't remember what number she was, but she began telling her story. And Fraser syndrome is where two parents have the same recessive gene that create a child that looks a, tip, a, a, a particular way. They have webbed fingers, webbed toes. They are kind of uh, either missing an eye or a non-functioning eye. Uh, it, it messes with their teeth, their mouth. They have to go through tons of surgeries, but their brains are developed and they are able to be full people, but because they look so different, it's very difficult for them to interface in society. It's difficult for their parents to know what to do with them. And um, this girl is just brilliant. She began to just explore what her life and her family's life was dealing with the syndrome. And she wanted to meet others that had it. And it was the first time any of them had ever been together or talked to each other about it. Our parents had talked to each other um, about what it was like to be parents of kids with Fraser syndrome. 
So I was very touched by this. She happened to be there and, um, I, I was just wanted to talk to her, but didn't get a chance. Other people were talking to her and I was standing there at a moment and all of a sudden I feel this tap on my shoulder and she comes up and says, I just want to tell you, I was in Texas at the Thin, Thin Line Film Festival and I saw your film. It was so amazing. Oh, wow. And I was just like, wow, really? <laughs> uh, and I just, I was so touched because I felt the same way about her film that night. And turns out she's a DePaul film student, which is crazy. Um, and she just has this wonderful art of telling a story. And that film made me realize what is so powerful about documentary films and Maybe we can talk about the one. We're going to talk a little bit about the Oscars today. Maybe we can talk about the the documentary that won last night, Zach. I think you've seen it. Yes. Um, so, but in this Fraser Syndrome piece, what I realized made documentary so powerful is when you learn something completely, absolutely new that you had no idea about and you walk away um, being changed by learning that and that particular person's point of view. Um, what do you think, Zach? Yeah. I mean, I, that's like the most powerful part about documentary filmmaking is like, cause it's, I mean, you're seeing it's, it's happening. It's real. You know, it's like in with, you know, narrative stuff, it's like, Oh, based on a true story and things like that. But I just think when you're, especially when you're hearing firsthand from people and things like that and their experiences, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it can be really, really moving. Um, and it yeah. sounds like you had an experience similar to that. And that's something that, you know, we try to recreate. So, yeah, I mean, it made me think, Zach, I really want us to, to think about this concept. Not only do we want people to learn in taking Carenton about the history of Carenton, but how can we more fully develop what we already said we want them to learn, which is learn from the people and the place that has survived all of these wars and this battle for control. What can we learn from this and apply to our own lives? You know? Yeah. I think that's the goal. hundred percent. What do you think, Jason, you have something to say about this? I know you don't do documentary filmmaking, but you know, no. Yeah. I think I remember this is kind of going to be a, a look into my life a little bit. I, I remember the first time I ever really like watched a documentary and really paid attention. And it was super size me when, when that came out and it was just like a full peek into somebody's life. Right. And that it changed me watching this person's life be changed. And I think that that, that is the power of, of documentaries. And I think it's a really unique power that, I don't, I, for some reason, we just don't give it enough credit. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't understand why, but we really don't. Well, and we kind of see it now almost as entertainment, like documentaries and documentary series on all these streaming services have become like quasi almost like close to narrative. Like they're yeah. reshaping the documentary on the streaming services because for example, let's look at Dahmer. You know, you have the narrative story of Dahmer released about the same time that you have the documentary story of Dahmer and that's intentional, right? So you are hearing the facts, but it's the, the documentaries that are thriving on streaming services are these murder horror documentary kind of things. And yeah. I think it's because they also lend themselves to narrative stuff. Um, yeah. And, and, that brings me to my thinking about this film festival. We've talked about often that in some ways the film festival seems a little like 
why do we need it anymore, right? Distributors aren't really going, you know, for all the big film festivals, the streamers are the ones that have already, they're like propping them up so that everybody will go see them. It's not like they're going there to look for distribution. You know, what's the purpose of them? They spend a lot of money. You know, you spend a lot of money to go. Do we really need to go? And last night being at a one night film, you know, short film festival, what came out of that for me was that this was, it was important. You know, no awards were given out. Um, it wasn't a huge, you know, it's not a huge film festival at all, not even in Chicago. But the industry in Chicago came together to support Patricia with her cause of helping inner city kids. And we got to see a lot of interesting documentaries, um, you know, and there was some narrative stuff, too. Um, we got to see a lot of things that, you know, made us think that we'll never see the light of day anywhere. And yet I learned something, right? Something that touched me. So I think film festivals need to stay alive because I think where are we going to see films like this um, if they're not at film festivals? I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great combination of, you know, whether it's the films themselves are just getting people with similar interests together, whether it's people who are just fans of these films or just film fans in general, like Memphis, we have a great uh, indie Memphis film festival here. And it's like, I've you know met people in the industry and stuff, just attending these, you get the opportunity to see things that you would never get the chance to see otherwise. Um, and it is, I mean, it is still a way that it starts people's careers and it might, that film that was saw, you know, you guys, one of them you saw yesterday, there might be a filmmaker in that room. Maybe that film doesn't change their life, but that film was seen by someone who gives them an opportunity. And then, you know, 20 years from now, they're making films that, you know, everyone sees. And so I think, I, I think that's, we need an outlet for that. So, yeah. One producer, in fact, came up to me and said, I saw that girl's film. I saw her, you know, she would be the perfect person to help me with my idea of making a documentary on concussions, you know? And I thought, wow, she's a film student at DePaul. I wonder if there's any way I can support her. So yeah, exactly what you're talking about, I think, comes out of those things. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't actually have much more to say, but I completely agree with you guys. I think that is totally... You covered pretty much everything, all the bullet points I had in my head. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on. Uh, I think one interesting thing that happened last night is I should have played the lottery. I mean, on Saturday night, because I ended up winning like three different raffle tickets. Uh, <laughs> one was for my friend, Sandy Gordon. Uh, so they were uh, like passes to the Midwest Independent Film Festival and Illinois Film Alliance. But there were two passes, so we can share those. And then... Um, I won a camera package, a $10,000 camera package, a $500 camera package. And the exciting news about that is that makes all of our shoot in May that we need to go down to Fort Campbell and interview, uh, you know, all of these guys. Now we don't have to pay for camera rentals and gear and stuff like that. So that was awesome. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. yeah that's all right. So this is the morning after the Oscars. So I'd love to hear, I did, did both of you watch the Oscars? Yep. Of course. Yeah, of course. So I had a very interesting experience watching it. I would love to hear, Jason, I want to start with you. Tell me what, you know, what you think, uh, what, what, what you thought was stupid, what you liked. <laughs> so the first thing I actually have to complain about is how I watched it. I okay. watched it 
on abc.com, just live stream that way. And it slowly drifted into the past. So if I was on Twitter at the same time, people were like, oh, all quiet on the Western Front one. And I'm like, they haven't even got, they're not even out there talking yet. (laughs) And it was like, I refreshed the page and it was still behind. So it's like, I had to like not be on Twitter or anything else and just like watch this way. So it was a little (laughs) annoying. Um, But yeah, I think, I think it's a really, just a fascinating year because like A24 just cleaned up. And um, I think that the the most sad thing to me was the visual effects um, artists, how they, they got to talk for like five seconds and then they, they yeah. come off. We want to thank our families. And, oh, that's, that's unfortunate. All right. Yeah. <laughs> just, everyone else. And then they went and did like, I don't know, Jimmy Kimmel doing some bit about cocaine bear or whatever. And it was just like, I would have liked to hear from the people who did, you know, the way of water, you know, that sort of thing. I would have liked to hear about a little bit, but yeah. So I think that was, that was the biggest uh, part that was a little disappointing to me. Um, but yeah. What about I didn't YouTube? understand it either. Why, why did some of them be able to talk on and have one or two or three speakers? And then yeah. like those guys, they had one and were cut off. I didn't get that. So they had to reset the stage for a performance. And so they had to cut out into the crowd. And so they, I guess they were like, well, we're already running late. So we got to cut this. Mm. And it's like, well, just tell them to go stand out in the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Push them out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else from you? That's pretty much it. I, 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 I'm not someone who has really strong opinions on like, Oh, that one shouldn't have won or that one should have won. I'm I'm not really, I don't have that strong opinions on these sorts of things, but I think pretty much all of them are like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. All right. Well, Zach, what about you? I I know you said you've watched all the Oscar or nominees. Did you watch all the nominees or all the winners? Not all. I've, I've seen all of the uh, Best Picture nominees. Okay. So okay. I've seen all those. I feel like I've seen pretty much, there's a couple of blind spots here and there for some of the nominees um, and like a couple of the acting categories and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I, the Oscars is always something I've like weirdly cared probably too much about. Um I don't know. I just, since I was a kid, it's something I've always uh, really kept up with and, and watched. And I, I kind of agree with Jason since like I quit caring years ago about what actually wins because my opinions <laughs> don't always align with the academies, which is fine. I mean, I don't think that you know, I'm just one person, so I think that's fine. Um, but I think it is interesting always because it, whether or not the best films always win is obviously up for debate, but I think it is very telling of the time and where the industry is at and everything's constantly changing. And so I always think it's interesting to look at, look at that and kind of um, gauge where everything's at. So, and I thought it was a good show. Yeah. Unpack that a little bit. Um, Talk to me about the changes that you're seeing, the state of the industry that you perceived. Talk to me about, you know, what you mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's no, secret that everything everywhere all at once just dominated last night. And, um, I, that's, I mean, that's, if you, when I saw that movie, when it came out, uh, in April of last year, uh, if you would have told me that that a movie with hot dog fingers would win best picture <laughs> in like every, I mean, every major category it was in, I wouldn't have believed it for a second, but at the same time, the Academy has become increasingly diverse and younger over the years, especially these last two years. And they seem to be rewarding feel good stories. I mean, Coda last year winning best picture and then everything ever all at once winning best picture this year. I think 
that that shows that they're rewarding things that are younger, more diverse and feel good stories, which is not something that, you know, we've seen historically. Um, and, you know, whether or not you like the movies or not, I think it's an interesting antidote. And, um, and I think it's kind of indicative of how the industry as a whole is changing. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that the industry is changing and not only is the interesting industry changing, but our, um, what do we want to say? What do we call our population? Our culture is changing. You know, the dynamics, the different, you know, ages of people, kinds of people, like we're becoming a much, much more diverse society, obviously. And so, yes, there are certainly changes and we are seeing those um, in the film industry. I think there've been lots of complaints for many years. It's no secret that the Oscars are too white uh, and too old and too, you know, typical and I do think that the Academy is beginning to hear that and make changes there. And that, that is refreshing for sure. Um, personally, I enjoyed the show. I mean, that's the first time I've kind of actually enjoyed the whole show and watched it from beginning to end. Um, I thought that Jimmy Kimmel did a nice job of just being there, being welcoming, uh, being funny, not being cruel. I thought it was funny that he did bring in several times the slap from last year and just <laughs> I, the part about this is a safe space and people will, you know, uh, come and defend me. I thought all that was really funny. So, um, so yeah, I thought he did a good job. There were some acceptance speeches right from the get go. Um, Kihu Kwan and Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis. Um, there were a few of them where I was just sobbing. I could not, uh, just get through simply because I think I related so much, you know, ever since I was a little girl, I dreamed about winning an Oscar. Right. And so have these people. So the words that they said are so reflective of like what's in my heart. And it was so mm -hmm. encouraging to me also, because it just is always a reminder of don't give up, keep pursuing what you're passionate about. Um, you know, eventually you will be able to, to achieve what you're passionate about or your rewards will be recognized. You know, um, I did experience that with the girl who wore freedom, obviously not an Oscar, but, um, you know, I remember feeling the same things and it's interesting because <laughs> winning one award or 30 awards kind of is never really enough. That's what was weird. I kind of felt a little <laughs> convicted about that because like you're only in this world, only as great as like the last thing you did, right? And so now here we are making another one and I have all those same doubts and will this ever even happen and will it be good and how will it be received? And um, so I think I resonated with the feelings of those actors that were coming up and talking about their own struggles. I mean, what did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, there were multiple um, speeches that were just like tears in my eyes. Like, yeah, this is this is just good. <laughs> it's just, I, I swear, most of the people who won this time around seemed very wholesome. Yeah, you know, just seemed like good people. <laughs> and I was yeah. just happy to see decent people winning. <laughs> well, and like Brendan Fraser, like you could just oh, tell, yeah. like yeah. he didn't even know what to say, how yeah. to feel. <laughs> like you just you see like this he has to say something. What do I say? I want yeah. it to like 
come out the way I'm feeling. So his analogies were just off the chains, you know, but then you're like, okay, dude, come on, bring it back down to reality. But you can't, I mean, you're in that moment and you can tell that people are clearly emotional. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, really? I mean, she was just, everything she said just kept building and building. And by the time she was done, I was in a puddle. Uh, because you feel so happy for them. Like, yeah. I mean, the fact that Kihu Kwan and Brendan Fraser were in Goonies together, like, I don't know, what, 30 <laughs> years ago? Uh, right? Encino Man, right? Encino Man, Encino Man. I don't know why he said Goonies. Yes, Encino Man. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah. And then they both uh, win awards tonight. Same night, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Oh, so, cool. so, so yeah, I mean, I, I thought the performance overall, I think the speeches were really touching. Um I have to admit a little bit of disappointment with the fact that everything everywhere all at once won so many awards. Like there was such good stuff. I mean, I felt so bad for, um, what's the Irish one? The Bantus and Anishira. Yeah. I felt so bad for them. Like they were nominated for everything. And, uh, I don't know. Did they win anything? No, uh, Elvis, Bantus and Anishira and Tar all. They were all snubbed. They were yeah. all snubbed for like having like a bunch of nominations. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it was a dom truly like historically dominant. I mean, yeah. I think the last time something like this was like Slumdog Millionaire, but even with that, it was like a lot of like, um, you know, below the line um, awards. I mean, they didn't have any acting awards or anything like that. It's crazy to see, you know, three of the four acting awards, directing screenplay, um, all best picture. To, and best picture, of course, all go to the best picture winner, um, which is just, yeah. I mean, the problem with that is that you just feel like some films just didn't get recognized at all. And so that's, I mean, there was yeah. great storylines for everything with everything everywhere all at once, because it's, you know, you have come a comeback story. You have two uh, beloved female actresses who finally, you know, get their chance to win a big award. Um, uh, you have, this, you know, fascination with the Daniels, the guys who directed, you know, the turn down for what music videos and, you know, but I think that goes back to like kind of how the industry's changing. I mean, those are guys who started off on YouTube, right. And they met in college, started doing YouTube shorts together and stuff like that. And then into music videos and they make really weird, different stuff. And then now on their second feature, they, you know, take over the Oscars. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's just, yeah, I think it's really uh, interesting. Like, I mean, you know, that's not, I would say, out of all of them I saw, it's not my favorite, but I think that it's it's an interesting, um, I think it's very interesting and telling of where potentially, you know, the industry could be going. It could also be potentially dangerous because you don't, what they did was like very hard to teeter on a fine line of like, you're really terrible, see, really oh, terrible. Yes. It, like, right. It could go really <laughs> bad and you're going to see some shorts and some college kids making their, you know, end of the year projects and stuff like that, that are, they're going to be like, Oh, we could be the next Daniels and they're going <laughs> right. to miss the tone completely. And it's going to be really cringy probably. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you always see stuff like that happen, but I think that uh, it is cool to see people, you know, really make something that they wanted to make and find success in it. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, that's, um, that's reminding me of, there's this great video of, um, the musician Maggie Rogers. I don't know if either of you have ever heard of Maggie Rogers. I did not. So I, I don't remember the exact context, but like Pharrell Williams was 
doing this thing where he went to NYU and he was listening to music by the students there. And Maggie Rogers was one of them. And she puts on her song and he's just listening. To, he's like wide eyed, just like staring off to somebody off on the, off the side. Like, can you believe this? And his whole thing is that I cannot give you any notes for that song because it is so unique and incredible. And it would be like giving notes to Wu-Tang Clan. (laughs) 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 And it is just absolutely, you know, either you love it or you hate it. And it is really fascinating to see like the Daniels are making their thing. They are not trying to be anyone else. And that's what, you know, these, these film students at the end of the year, what they're going to be doing is they're going to try to be the Daniels. I want to try and be like them. And it's like, right, right. you need to make oh, your good thing, point. your yes. thing, what you can do special. Cause they could do that special and they're the only people who could do that special. So you need to make what your thing would be. And that's exactly what he gets into in this video, which I'll make sure we have that in the description. It's a fascinating little like five, six minute video of a great song. And then the, the reaction to it and explaining why it's special and yeah, that's how to be special. Yeah. Yeah. They say that. All the time in the acting biz, you know, you think, particularly in voiceover, that you you come to a script and you want to have the perfect read, right? You want to do it the way that you think it should be sound, you know, should sound. Also, you think that the directors have an idea in your head and you're trying to match their perfect idea. And that is a recipe for failure because what directors are looking for in the voiceover world is for you to bring you to the copy, say it like you would say it. And not like somebody else would. And so I think that's what I hear you saying, Jason. Don't, you know, if a filmmaker is going to be like, let me create what the Daniels did, they're going to be missing the mark. They need to create who they are and their creation needs to come out of who they are, not what somebody else is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's really awesome stuff. Uh, okay, the only other thing I have comment I have about this, and we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, Zach, is that there has been this discussion about the academy, and really is do they really even matter? You know, typically there are a, you know a lot of films that are super super popular that the common man loves and would have elected as the best picture. Um that don't get recognition. For example, Top Gun Maverick this year, right? It was the most common man movie and all of them, maybe world, uh, maybe uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, maybe a close second that a lot of people saw. It wasn't an art house film, wasn't something completely unheard of. Um, and so a few people in my sphere who were not like, you know, movie connoisseurs or whatever, really felt like, oh, there the Academy goes again. All they really care about are these art house films. They're not really representative of, you know, people out in the real world. Um, what do you guys have to say about that? Um, I, I think it's, you know, I think we, as we were talking about it, like I, Top Gun Maverick loved it. Insanely popular, I think, with everyone. Um, but I think especially with, like, your generation that it was, like, absolutely like this has to be when everything i think that we did see on you know whether it's letterbox or film twitter or whatever there was a huge i mean everything everywhere all at once became like the number one highest rated movie on letterbox uh ever which is like obviously 
crazy. And that means a lot of young people loved it. Also, then that's going to cause pushback because there's going to be another side that's like, absolutely not. Like, it's a fine movie, but that's way too, you know, it becomes talked about. And then all of a sudden, like, because the whole thing with winning Best Picture or anything like that is it's all like ultimately campaigning and like building, building, building narratives. Um, But so I think, is it important and does it matter? Ultimately, I think at some point it it is because it does change what movies get made. Like it does impact that to whether it's a nomination or what wins, it does impact that to some level. But I think also like Top Gun Maverick did so well in the box office. Like it, it dominated that, you know, save movies of people as, as people have said, Top Gun Maverick's going to live on. It's not going anywhere. Personally, like Tar to me is the best movie of the year. Really? I, I absolutely love Tar. I think, you know, Todd Field's genius. All of his movies are great. And I think, you know, 30, 40 years from now in film classes, they will talk about Tar and that will be, it'll survive the test of time ultimately. And so I don't, I think people, it doesn't really matter if it wins Best Picture or something or not. Um, and then now, you know, everything everywhere all at once you know, people in 50 years time will tell, will people look back on it and go, I can't believe that one. Or will people, you know, look at it like it was, you know, the Godfather taxi driver or whatever of, you know, the year. I mean, I, lots of times I look back at best picture winners and I go, well, I don't know about that. That really won that year. But, um, (laughs) I I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, like also though we look back at like parasite from just 2019 and how good that movie year was. And that seemed like, such a deserving film and it opened up a lot of American audiences to, you know, Korean cinema, uh, which is just amazing. And that you can watch amazing movies with subtitles. And now my mom like watches Korean movies because she's loved <laughs> Parasite. And I think that that's awesome and something that probably wouldn't have happened before unless it won best picture. So, I mean, I don't think it's the end all be all, but I think it does get, movies into living rooms or, and change, you know, I promise you the next Daniels movie, a lot more people will go see it in theater for good or for bad. It's just, you know, the way it is. Hmm. Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it really like, like Zach's talking about, it really shapes where the future of cinema can go or, you know, and just these big awards oftentimes make or break someone's career. You know, they can just like, even if, like, so the show Arrested Development, have we ever talked about that show? How, like, n- nobody watched it when it was on air except people in town? No. And so, like, all the executives, everybody was watching Arrested Development and were like, this is one of the best shows ever made, you know, that sort of thing. And, like, but nobody wide America watched it. It was super low ratings, incredibly low ratings. Nobody cared about this show, but everyone in town watched it. And almost every single person who was on that show is now a megastar because yeah. everyone in town watched it and it won all these awards. It was winning Emmys, that sort of thing. And people, and it was one of those things where most people had not seen the show and they're going, why'd that win an Emmy? <laughs> I don't understand. And so it eventually slowly builds up because of the awards and everything. And then the, it finally comes out on streaming. A lot of people go, I kind of remember that won a bunch of awards. Let me check that out. And it gets this massive resurgence on Netflix. And so you can have these life cycles and then it eventually, you know, they bring it back on Netflix as a Netflix original. Um, but you can have these interesting ripple effects of like you win an award now, it could still be changing your life 20 years from now. And True. so you see that happen with, you know, 
people who are up and coming. Like there was that, that film editor who was like, this is only my second movie. <laughs> and that was just so interesting. Cause it's like, I bet that that guy is now going to be able to work on whatever oh. movie he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And my husband made second a movie. funny comment about him after his speech. Like it was super elegant. I mean, eloquent. And he was really handsome. And my husband was like, he should be an actor, not an editor. <laughs> 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 which I thought was true. Which I yeah. thought was true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a a good lot of people point. on film Twitter agreed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did they? Did they? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, very talked about. Yeah. I miss that. I miss that. No. The, on film Twitter, what I saw was I felt so bad about the people behind the woman that had the big swirly dress. Did you see that? <laughs> I made that exact same comment. I was oh. like, imagine sitting behind her. Oh my goodness. Well, did you see my Twitter that I posted? Because the person sitting behind her made a tweet that was like, I'm at the Oscars. Oh, yeah. I'm back here. It's <sighs> great to be in the Oscars, but I can't see a damn thing. <laughs> That's funny. So, you know, you made a comment, Zach, which I think is really true. And it kind of, I don't know, it causes a big question for me. But when I was going through the Girl Who Wore Freedom and I was looking at film festivals and I definitely applied to all of the Oscar qualifying film festivals that I thought I might have a chance at getting in. Um, we talked about this long ago. Um, I was very disillusioned when I saw what it took to even be considered for a nomination and the way it was back then. And it changed a little bit during COVID. I'm not sure where they are today, but the way that it happens is you start in these um, film festivals that are at Academy Award qualifying. And if you win that category, if we were to win the documentary category at an Academy Award winning um, film festival, we would then qualify for a nomination. Um, However, that nomination would only be possible if we spent thousands and thousands of dollars campaigning and advertising so that everyone would know what our film was about and getting people to win our film. So at the end of the day, you know, you've got this small group of people who actually makes the decisions. It's true with the SAG Awards too, you know, who actually make these decisions and they're being marketed to and the people that are being nominated in order for even to get eyeballs there, they have to spend so much money. They have to hire publicity, publicity people. They have to four wall in a theater, meaning you have to be in a theater in New York or LA for a certain amount of days in order to even be qualified. And then you still have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just seems like a very unfair system. I've heard it's not even worth trying to campaign unless you have five to $10 million in marketing mm. budget to yeah. try and campaign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that comes from basically the studios because that's ultimately who like the studios, specific studios, like good old Netflix, man, do they want a best, they want a best picture so bad and <laughs> you know, they still can't get it. And, and every year they come really close, but yeah, I mean, that is the way, it is. And is it ultimately fair? Probably not. But I think the way that I look at it, at least, is it's like filmmaking and if, you know, becoming and also becoming successful winning awards, like it's all like what how you consider it. But to, you know, get to that stage, it's just years of, you know, climbing up stepping stones. So it's like I was talking about earlier with why smaller film festivals are important, things like that. It's like, yeah, like the first film and stuff like that, those aren't going to like, and, yeah, it's just not going to 
get that type of attention and eyeballs. But you hope that like over time, because the thing is, is like, you know, if you start making smaller films and stuff that get noise or make, you know, I mean, you start looking like the, you know, the Daniels were doing these, you know, YouTubes to music videos, to features, to then, oh, A24 gets their hands on them. A24 is the one who is doing all this campaigning, putting all this money in it. And they're really, really good at campaigning, as we saw. I mean, they won all these awards last night. And it's the same thing as like, it's, we're just like, Documentary First is just a company of, you know, 10 people. So it's like, there's, and without that type of budget, but the hope would be to, you know, if we want to get eyes to that scale and things like that, it's slowly over time creating a better and better product until there's a, you know, a bigger production company who helps push. And then the way the documentary side of things works is a little different. Um, and, but there's usually someone like, you know, one of these big names behind, uh, uh, all the beauty and the bloodshed is like a neon. Um, and so neon had parasite and, you know, all, uh, well, so. and you think about Icarus, you know, that was Hootenanny, not Hootenanny, um, Cartempkin films here in Chicago, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There are, um, it, you know, and it, what could happen if imagine entertainment, you know, that I met with earlier this month decided that they really want to work with me, that would be a pathway, you know, for something like that to happen. However, it is discouraging for small independent filmmakers who have a great film like the girl who wore freedom, who really could be nominated in my opinion, you know, for, for something. I mean, it really is a fantastic film. Now the difference with, the girl who wore freedom and like all the other documentaries that I've ever seen and where I think we struggled is that it's not uncovering some great ill or it's not, you know, some mm -hmm. earth shaking earth shattering, um, new idea or thing, or it's not solving climate change or, you know, the race issues in our country. It's, it's not on that level of, um, social action, social justice. And, you know, I think it's challenging for those type of movies to get very far, but it is discouraging for a young, you know, young film person like me to think I will never have the opportunity to win an Oscar simply because I don't have that kind of money for campaigning. Even if I made a fantastic film. Yeah. 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 And I, I see I think, you have no answers for me. <laughs> well, I, I just think it's ultimately like if, like, I don't think personally, I just don't think documentary first is in the business of when like winning Oscars. Like, I think it's a different, there's different things. Like a lot of those films are made like to That's compete true. for awards. And like, I think it's all dependent. So it's like, ultimately if success is measured on box office sales, or if it's like, you know, Top Gun Maverick knew it wasn't going to ultimately win best picture, but, and it wasn't to win awards. The goal of that was to get, have an amazing experience in the theater and that's what it did. And so I think they would consider that to be a successful film. And I think that, you know, but like Netflix, when they were making some movies and stuff like that, you know, they were like, we want to make awards contending movies. And I think that if that ends up happening, then that's like, all those things are great, but ultimately like we can only serve the purpose that, you know, that, we ultimately are trying to do and that's educate people uh, and have emotional experiences about 
currently, you know, the Battle of Carenton and the yeah. city of Carenton. And so exactly. if we make people feel that, then that's our Oscar. So, Okay, we have had a little meeting among the three of us, and we've decided since we are running so long, we're going to talk about the state of the industry uh, in a Patreon bonus segment. So if you want to hear about that uh, in this amazing article that I read, uh, join us on Patreon. Uh, before we leave, we want to do a quick DocuView Deja Vu and then give you a quick update. So um, I would like... Jason to go first with his doc. Oh, first of all, it's time for our segment, DocuView Deja Vu. DocuView Deja Vu. Yes, Jason. All right. So I was going to do um, a podcast that I haven't listened to yet, but I remembered I actually have watched a documentary since last time. <laughs> so I'm going to do that instead. Um, this was Glitch, The Rise and Fall of HQ Trivia. Which I don't know oh, if I heard about this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to come out on HBO Max, but like my parents recorded it on their their linear cable, and we we watched <laughs> um, you know with with commercial breaks and everything, fast forwarding through, um, and it is a little long and a little slow, but it is just a fascinating story of the rise and fall of HQ Trivia. HQ Trivia, if you didn't, if you don't remember that, that was a game show that you could play on your phone every night and like some weekdays in the middle of the day. Um, and yeah, it was kind of collapsed and died horrendously. (laughs) Well, I need to see that because I actually did play it, but only for like a couple of weeks. And then I got frustrated with it. Maybe that's why it died. Was it just me? That was a universal experience. I don't know, but I'm fascinated. That sounds great. Yeah. It was a very fun time. All right. Zach, do you have one? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. It was a lot of what? A lot of nostalgia for like right before the pandemic hit, like this thing was big, you know, that sort of thing. So it was kind of like a flashback to when life was totally normal. And like, we didn't know <laughs> about what was coming around the corner and everything. It was just kind of a weird little look back into, you know, five years ago. That's awesome. And that's all I got. Zach, go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just going to say, first off, all the like Oscar nominated documentaries are really, really good. Uh, Navalny, which one was my doc, you view deja vu the first time I came on. So I called it like six months ago. Just want to you say did. That. Uh, Chris and I have <laughs> talked a bunch about fire and love, like off mic. Uh, mm-hmm. We both like that a lot. Uh, but I, all the beauty in the bloodshed, uh, which is the Laura Portress uh, documentary. She's great. All of her stuff is like amazing. I think she's like one of the best documentarians we have right now. It's about uh, photographer Nan Golden and like the opioid crisis and the, t- the fall of the Sackler family. Uh, and it's just like, Really moving, really beautiful, great filmmaking. Um, you can rent it on a bunch of different places right now. Um, it's re- it's amazing. I would highly recommend it. Awesome. I'm going to go in a totally different direction. Uh, this direction is uh, because I spent last week with my sister, um, and she lives in Virginia Beach, and she has five kids, and she has about 100 pets. And um, I thought, you know, great. I thought rabbits and dogs and you know, cats were enough. However, she felt like she needed to, uh, I don't know, raise an entire country of chickens. Um, so (laughs) I was spending my time with all of these chickens last week and she had just gotten a bunch of little chicks and she would sit at night. She would go get these chicks and she would stuff them all in her sweatshirt. And she was sitting there like, I don't know, they were baby bunnies or something, but but these are chicken. And so she's like, well, have you ever seen this movie Chicken People? And I was like, what you talking about, Willis? Like, I was like, what? 
that's ridiculous. And so I watched it and it's one of those things where you like have entered into a third dimension. Like you have no idea that this is even a reality. These people are real. You think it's a mockumentary. You're like, certainly this is a mockumentary, but it is not a mockumentary. It is actually a documentary. You can watch it on Vudu, Prime Video, uh, and Apple TV. It has a 100% tomato meter score. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know what that means. Uh, but then a 64% audience score. Uh, for me, I just, I liked these people. I liked these people that loved their chickens. All of a sudden, I felt like I should have a chicken and give it a bath and, you know, all these other things. <laughs> so maybe I've become a chicken person. I don't know. But anyway, chicken people, I highly recommend it. At least you learn something about a world you never knew. So there you go. Yeah, check that out. Wow. <laughs> we have had quite an episode. We have <laughs> I'm just thinking it's about still, the journey we've gone on. <laughs> I know. And, and it's yeah. kind of still going on. I need to give a film update really quick. I really want to get us out of here. Like I said, we've been working on the pitch, ta- pitch deck with Zach and a bunch of other people on our team. We're still writing the script. We're working on the sizzle reel. Thank you, Sam King, for editing that. We've been pre-proing our shoot that we're going to do in Clarksville, Kentucky at the 101st Airborne Division in May. Yay, we have a new camera package. Woohoo! And we have been working a lot on our social media posts. So we're still doing our Monday, Wednesday, Friday short um, short story, stories of service and turning some of those into short videos. So if you haven't gone onto YouTube Shorts or our Instagram Reels, TikTok, um, any of those social media, you're missing something awesome. You'll see our little um, mini docs there. We've also been working on our taxes, which isn't very, very fun. So that's the film update this week. Um, we do hope that you will follow along our interesting journey um, through our social media, sign up for our newsletter. If you haven't watched The Girl Who Are Freedom, please do that. Um, you know, I think you'll love it. And uh, yeah, that's about it for me. So you guys have any last words before we get out of here? No, I think no, I'm, I'm excited good. to record this little Patreon bonus segment we're going to do. That, yeah. that sounds very fun. I'm excited for that. Yeah, please uh-huh. join Patreon. Come see what we're doing over there. They got a lot of little extra content, so come join us. All right. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. The Documentary First podcast is a production of Documentary First Productions. Help us create more educational and inspiring filmmaking content and share more stories of service by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash documentary first. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can discover our awesome entertainment industry content as well as our moving historical stories and possibly learn some new things along the way. Bye, everybody.